Good morning, church. Our reading today is from Matthew chapter 7. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible in front of you, it is on page 812. Hear this word from Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or, for, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of God. All right, good morning again. We are starting a new series here at Grace for this month. The series is called Growing in Grace. Now, obviously, as a church, we want to grow, right, in our faith. We want to grow in our walk with the Lord. And we have a, what we call a mission statement. You can see part of it up there on the screen. It says, to bring glory to God by making fully devoted followers of Christ who passionately love God and people. Our desire is for you to grow as a body, growing in your faith. It's an ongoing process. It's hard, it's challenging, but it's glorious because for the glory of God. Now, if you look there at the image on the right, you see our vision of the church. In the center there, the little burst in the center says the gospel. The gospel is central to all we do, essential to our growth. The good news of Jesus Christ. And then flowing from that is worship, community, service, and disciple-making. The beauty of our vision is it's simple, right? But what we do as we continue to grow, it's very hard. It's hard to continually worship God in all we say and do, both here on Sunday morning but all week long. It is hard to do community together. It gets messy sometimes. It is hard to serve week after week, day after day, year after year. To go back, let's say you work in children's ministry, to go back and to serve children who sometimes are paying attention to you, other times they're running around in circles. It might be that they decide to lay on the floor and take a nap. You're still saying, I am preaching God's word. This is good. To God be the glory. Serving is hard. Disciple making is hard. It's hard enough for me to grow, much less think I can come alongside somebody else and help them. But that's what God calls us to do. It's challenging work, and it's good work. If you are a follower of Christ, do you see the value of prayer in your spiritual growth, in this vision? Can you worship God, grow in community, serve God's kingdom, lead people in spiritual growth from out or without communication with God? Can you do it by your own ability? Are you self-sufficient in that? Hopefully we know the answer is no. Of course not. The focus of the sermon today is to help us to see the value of growth starts with prayer. Growth saturated in prayer because we need to understand we fully rely on God 
to have any level of growth. Spurgeon said this, a healthy church must have her saints on their knees. What the surrounding world surely sees as something entirely unremarkable, a group of people with every head bowed and every eye closed, is actually one of the most important events in all of Christ's kingdom. See, the health of a church, the health of a child of God, is not seen in your ability to look good as a Christian, having it all together. But due to your dependence, you eagerly pray continually and fervently to God who is sovereign over all and loves you completely. Why do people avoid praying? Why do people, if they do pray, look at it as like a last resort, couldn't hurt mentality? Sure, let's just pray. Oh man, they're really sick. I guess we should go to God. Why is that sometimes our mindset or at least others around us, their mindset? I think it's because they don't have a right view of who they're praying to. And they don't see the need of continual prayer as being necessary for every believer every day, every moment. The passage we just read, that Jody read for us, verses 7 to 11, comes on the heels of a very challenging passage. Matthew 7, 1 to 6, let me show it to you up here, says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let him take the speck out of your eye? Or let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrites, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. The opening chapter 7 is extremely challenging because it talks about abstain from judgment, yet there are times to judge. Do not be hypercritical, but you need to be critical. Be humble and patient, but not overly patient, to where you have no action. The tension of the Christian life is to love and care for others and to exhort them at the same time. To have the wisdom to know what to do or not do, what to say or not say, what decisions to make, what doors to walk through or walk past. And as you think about the decisions you make every day or have to make every day, it can become very nerve-wracking. Did I do it perfectly? Did I speak perfectly? Did I say the right thing? Should I have refrained from what I just said to that person? There's no take-backs. It's already out. The question we need to come to terms with is, who is sufficient for these things? Who can do this perfectly? I hope you say, not I, but God. So as we look at verses 7 to 11, may we see not only the value of prayer, but the great need we have to pray to our Heavenly Father. So lesson one, remember when you pray, you are approaching your loving heavenly father. You're not approaching me and hoping that I will provide all you need. You're approaching God. Verses 9 to 11 said, or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Who is this God that we are praying to? Well, first of all, he's God. 
right? He is sovereign over all, all of his creation. In the Sermon of the Mount, which is where this passage comes from, Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, Jesus gives us many glimpses into who God the Father is. Matthew 5, 45, he says, For he, being God the Father, makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain to the just and the unjust. Matthew 7, verses 26 to 33, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Verse 30, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he so much more clothe you, O you of little faith? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do you hear the sovereignty of God? Control over the weather. Control over the sun, provider for the animals, and obviously provider for you. Who was sufficient to give these things? All these things will be added to you is what he says. How can he say that unless he can do it? He has the resources to provide what he says. Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, your heavenly father is perfect. Who else can say that here? He is perfect in every decision he has made and will make. He is perfectly loving. He is perfectly just. That's hard to fathom in our minds because none of us are perfect. And so we look at people and say, nope, there's times when you fail. There's times when you lie. There's times when you fall short. But not so of God. Not so of the God that you are praying to. When he makes promises, he will keep his promises, which should bring us hope and joy. Matthew 6, Jesus deals with some serious things. He deals with prayer, and he deals with giving. And both those things, he says, don't go out publicly to get noticed by others. When you give, how should you give? As if no one sees. Secretly. When you pray, should you go out there and just publicly pray so people will recognize you and praise you for your amazing prayers? No. Pray in secret so no one sees. But look at the verse. I'll read it to you. Matthew 6, 4 says, So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And verses 6 to 8 says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for the many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Once again, do you see going privately there, secretly giving so no one sees, and who does actually see? God. He sees your giving. He hears and knows your prayers. And even says, he knows, even before you ask, he knows what you're going to ask. He knows what you need. That is a God who is everywhere and all-knowing. That is the God who we pray to. The Bible throughout all of Scripture gives us an amazing understanding of who God is because it's his word to us to tell us about him. It's about him. It's his story. In Genesis 1-1, he's the creator. In Ephesians 1, chapter 
or Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, according to which he has blessed us in the beloved. He is our loving heavenly father. Because of Jesus Christ, we are adopted as sons and daughters of him. We are God's. He provides our salvation. This is, once again, the God we get to pray to. He is just, and at the same time, he is gracious and merciful. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, his justice, punishing sin. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He provides his grace and mercy through his son Jesus. He was sacrificed to provide us life. God is Jehovah, independent and self-complete. The one who sanctifies, he's infinite, good, provider, the God of peace, immutable, which means same yesterday, today, and forever. He is also transcendent, existing above and beyond all the created universe. He is holy, he is healer, he is self-sufficient. He is omnipotent, which means all-powerful, omnipresent, he's everywhere. He's omniscient, he's all-knowing. Infinite in wisdom, faithful, full of grace and truth, he is Adonai, Master, Lord. And the list can go on. This is just a glimpse into God. Sometimes when we pray, we think our God's like this big. We're talking to him about some things, or last resort things. But we need to realize he is a God who is over all things, including you. And so when we go to him, we need to understand, one, that he is mighty, but he's also very loving and wants to hear and know you, wants you to talk to him. Why do we not need to fear God's wrath when we approach his throne? Because maybe we've had that mindset of if I go to God and pray, he's going to find out all of my things. If I start sharing with him about the bad things I've done, he's going to know. I don't want to break it to you, but he already knows. It's not news to God. We don't need to be afraid of going to him if we trust in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can go before God and seek his help. Ask, seek, and knock, as we're going to talk about. We can do that because... Jesus' sacrifice for us. Galatians 3 says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned under the, until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for Christ Jesus for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. See, God's law reveals our guilt, our sin, and our need for a Savior. That's why Jesus came, to live a perfect life as God and man 100% and to die for us. His payment on the cross satisfied God's wrath. He was our substitute. He took our place. 
He offers us freedom from slavery of sin, freedom from God's wrath, and adoption into God's family. He rose again, proving victory over sin and death. And Jesus not only removed our guilt, he clothed us with his righteousness. So that we are no longer sinful, but righteous. For all who trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, you are a sealed child of God by his Spirit, which is why we can go to God directly in prayer without fear of facing God's wrath and punishment, because it's already been satisfied in Jesus. I can come boldly before God because I'm already made righteous by God. I don't have to be afraid. He wants to hear from me. He is rooting for you. He wants you to succeed, and he is there with you. If you trust in Jesus, you are adopted, loved, and fully forgiven child of God. You can and should desire to go to your loving Heavenly Father in prayer. Because God's our Heavenly Father, we should long to talk to Him. Because of our neediness, we need to talk to Him. Which leads to lesson two. Realizing your dependence on God saturate every aspect of your life in prayer. Going back to our passage, it said, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We need to realize our need for God. For example, take our need for godly wisdom. The discernment needed to balance the love and exhortation from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6, and really throughout the whole Bible, requires wisdom that can only come from God. You're not self-sufficient to have the wisdom to be able to do what God's called you to do. But that's okay. We lack wisdom, and God's word says in James 1, chapter 5, if anyone of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. This promise in James comes on the heels of a challenging situation in James 1, 2. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Joy found in suffering and trials? How can we do that apart from God? We need the wisdom of God to be able to rejoice in the midst of suffering, which is promised to be given when we ask God in prayer. In order to grow in grace, we need God. Your dependency should drive you to continually talk with your Heavenly Father. We were never meant to go through this life solo. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus reminds us, He is here with us, walking with us. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the illustration Jesus is kind of giving is connected to. The idea of two oxen connected to an older one. So the older one's doing all the load. The younger one's learning. We're the younger one. We are learning from God. We are growing. He is guiding us. Walking by faith, he is carrying the load. But it's as we go throughout the day. God is with us always, helping us, guiding us. Do you hear a God who is for you? Jesus saying, I am with you. Yoke up to me. His spirit in us, guiding us, strengthening us. God the Father saying, come, talk to me. I am here for you. I want to give you good things. That's not a God who's waiting for you to mess up and say, ha, I caught you. I knew you were going to mess up with that. That's not God. 
I know sometimes maybe as parents we feel that way. You can ask for something, you're like, yep, sure, you can have this opportunity to uh, show you're responsible. But the reality is I know you're not going to be responsible. Is that loving? No. And that's not God. God isn't looking for you to mess up. And parents, we should not be looking for kids to mess up either. But God loves us. He cares for us. And he's providing. He's saying, come to me. I want you to succeed. I want you to do well. I am here for you all the way. Think back to the analogy that is presented in this passage. It is a child going to his father. Now, the child is one who needs food. So he goes to his father and asks for food, and the worldly father knows how to give good things, right? He's going to give him bread and not a stone. But notice the dependency of the child. He's in need, right? He can't go out and do things on his own. He's going to his dad because he needs his dad to provide. And he trusts his dad is going to provide. God is telling us, trust me. We read it earlier. I know what you need. Come to me. I will give it. But it requires humility. It requires dependence. And those things are hard for us to do. The biggest part of dependence is realizing our dependence and letting go of that pseudo-independence, that mindset of we think we need to be independent. We need to stand on our own two feet. We need to do this life by ourselves to show that we are strong enough. That is exact contrary to God's word. You actually need to realize more and more every day how fully dependent you are on God. Getting up today, breathing, getting dressed, that's all by God's grace. Coming here, hearing this message and being able to understand anything from it, God's grace. God is loving, God is gracious. We need him completely. Just as the child depend on his father, we have to depend on God. Look at those three commands that God gives. Jesus gives us ask, seek, knock. Each of those requires humility. Asking requires humility as the verb is used in respect of making a petition by an inferior to a superior. Child to parent. Think about that. Being able to say, yep, I need God. I'm insufficient in myself. God, will you help me? That's a humble thing to do. But Jesus addresses this very same thing about prayer. Luke 18, Jesus said this, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice the Pharisee here in his parable. He asks for nothing. He only praised himself and pridefully thinking that he doesn't need anything from God. He's self-justified. I'm self-sufficient. God will be lucky to have me. Exact opposite of the other guy, right? The tax collector, 
humbly proclaimed his guilt before God and pleaded for God's mercy. He recognized his complete dependence and utter need for God. And what did Jesus say? He went home justified, which means his request was met because he received God's mercy and he was justified. It takes humility to ask. It also takes humility to seek. It requires humility, as the word implies, acknowledgement of not knowing. How hard is that to acknowledge that we don't know something? Even as a pastor, when I have a student or child come up to me and ask me a question, you know how hard it is to say, I don't know? You want to come up with any answer that sounds godly, just so they'll be like, oh, okay, it makes sense. Because, I mean, they're like eight, so they're going to believe you. But I'm like, no, it's so hard to humble myself to say, I don't know. I need to seek wisdom from somebody else. That is hard to do. And it's hard to do throughout all of life. To be humble enough to seek help, support, and what we do not know or how to get to that destination as being unknown. You're seeking God's guidance on even knowing what to ask sometimes. In order to find, you have to trust God is willing and able to guide you. You not knowing doesn't mean nobody knows. God does. May we be comfortable and honest with ourselves to say, yep, I can go to him. He will answer. And the same of knocking. Knocking requires humility as the word implies something that is unattainable. Have you ever thought about this passage, especially that part? You knock at doors that you cannot open. In order to get in, it requires someone else to let you in. That's God. Knock. Admit you cannot do this. I will help you. I will open. I will let you in. God is sovereign and completely promises to provide. So you need to saturate every aspect of your life in prayer to him. Verses 7 and 8 show our neediness. But also, this passage reminds us that we have a loving Heavenly Father who's ready and able to meet our need. Jesus calls us to ask, seek, and, con- and knock continuously. The original text uses what's called present imperatives, which simply means the asking, seeking, and knocking will be performed continually. It's not a once-and-done thing. It's as you go. You're asking, you're seeking, you're knocking. It's a continual thing, as you know through life, every moment you're going through, there's always new things to ask. There's always new things we're seeking. There's always new doors that we're knocking. God says, as you go, you're constantly doing this. And the more we realize how dependent we are on God, the more we will do it. Because the more we realize, yep, I need God, and God always comes through. But the question is, Will God grant our every request? So, I mean, the phrase there says, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be open to him. So, if I go to God with any request, will he grant it? Well, that leads to lesson three. Trust in God's provision of good things. And be thankful his provision will not include everything your heart desires. That truly is loving. Verse 8 does say, for everyone who asks, receives. 
And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. The focus of this passage could be taken two ways. One, on the person asking, or two, on God. If you focus on the person asking, you could come up with the idea that persists long enough in your asking that you would get what you want. It's also known as beggar's wisdom. The idea of you can wear out God with your petitions. You ask him enough, he will submit and bend to your will and give you what you want. Now, the other emphasis when it's on God is this. The God who hears the asking is to a God who loves his children and knows how to give good things to those who ask. In the context, Jesus clearly is placing emphasis on a loving Heavenly Father who wants to hear from you, not an unloving Heavenly Father who can be worn down to submit to your will. That is not this passage, or any passage. We need to understand that our asking is not a tool or technique to get what we want, but an honest request made to a loving Heavenly Father who knows what is best and will do what is best for us. James 4 helps us to wrestle with this. James 4, chapter, chapter 4, verses 2 to 3, says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. God's word is not contradicting himself here, but actually illuminating the truth that God gives good things. See, in James, we see the asking from a place of selfish, worldly desires. The things being asked for, if granted, would only lead to distractions at best, and destruction would be in view. This would cease to be a good gift, and by the grace of God, it is not given. How many times have you gone to God with a request, pleading and hoping he would grant your petition, thinking you know best. God, if you just open this door, just give me the promotion, just heal me from this sickness, just allow my loved one to live a few more years. I think that's best, God. You should make it happen. What if it doesn't? I have done it way more times than I care to admit. Even seemingly good things in my mind that looking back in my life, they would not have actually been good things for me. I remember a time at college, and I mentioned this before, while at the University of Maryland, that I was feeling unsettled about my future as an electrical engineer. Most of you are like, wow, you wanted to be an electrical engineer. I did, for a year. <laughs> and then I didn't. And I prayed to God, God, show me direction. What should I do? Should I transition, hopefully, from this? And I did. I transitioned to math education. I felt, okay, I love math, unlike some of you. I do love math. I love teaching. That's right. It is a good thing. But during my junior year, I still felt unsettled and began researching other options. I continued to pray. And I began praying to God to enable me to pursue a new path that I planned for myself. My plan was to drop out of college. I know it sounds crazy now, but it didn't then. <laughs> I was like, do I really want, my heart was, you know, do I really want to waste another year and a half, more money, in a direction that 
Maybe God's not even calling me into. I drop out of college. I'm going to go down to Word of Life Bible Institute in Florida. Just opened up at the time. I'm going to go there, go get my education. I'm going on the field full-time in the ministry to God, working as a missionary somewhere. It's like, this is the plan. It is good. I was convinced, and I prayed fervently for God to bring this thing to fruition. I'm like, my heart's in the right place, so God's got to be in it. But instead of a Santa Claus God giving me what I wanted because I was nice, I was met with roadblocks. I told my family of my great plan, and they were not thrilled. They encouraged me to stay at University of Maryland and finish my degree and then see where God would lead. I was very passionate, so they encouraged me to talk to my pastor. I was like, great, he's in full-time ministry. This guy is going to love it. So I sat down with my six-foot-six pastor, Pastor Price, and I shared with him my passion, my heart. And you would not believe, he encouraged me to State University of Maryland and finish my degree. He heard my heart. He heard my story. He heard how I was praying. He challenged me not to go to God with a plan, but to go to God. And in my asking, seek his will for my life. Continue to trust God has a plan for my life, and he will make it clear in his time. So after me with Pastor Price, I felt a peace about not jumping into this new plan. And looking back 22 years later, I can see the grace and mercy of God in giving me good things and lovingly keeping from me things that were not good for me. If I would have headed with, forward with my plan, I would have left at the end of the semester for Florida. Instead, I went back to a summer camp that I worked at, met my wife. Two years after that, I was in these very same pews Watching the pre-service slides, which I know you all watch faithfully. <laughs> I was watching them, because I'm a good guy. <laughs> and I saw something up there that said, position opening at Grace Christian School for math education. Math teacher, middle school. I was like, I have my degree. <laughs> I'll apply, let's see if the Lord's leading this way. And he did. And I began working here at Grace. Six years after that meeting, with Pastor Price, I began to be, I joined as the pastoral, uh, sorry, I joined as a pastor here at the church in full-time ministry. <laughs> By the grace of God. His plan was for me to do full-time ministry, just not my way. Did God give me everything I asked? Thanks be to God that he did not and that he will not. He truly is a good and loving Heavenly Father. May you learn to trust God, trust in his provision of good things, and thankful for his provision that will not include everything your heart desires. And I get it, this is hard. I gave you an example of me being able to look back and say, yep, that made sense. But there'll be many times, it's in my life and I'm sure in yours, where you'll look back and say, it still doesn't make sense. That pain still doesn't make sense. Why did I go through that suffering? Why am I still suffering? Why is it we talk about like loss of friendship, loss of a loved one, 
Losing a parent, a spouse, or a child. How is that good? How can we make sense of that? My encouragement to you is, remember God. Remember who is your God. Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that he is indeed perfect? He does what is right and what is best, even if it doesn't make sense to us, and it may never. Do you believe that he wants what's best for you? He is seeking and desiring for you. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to thrive. He is a God who cares. And in times when you look back or even looking right now at your life and saying, God, this is too hard. Please take it away. And he doesn't. Can you still say, to you be the honor and glory. May I still fully trust you and rely on you because you are good. You have an amazing privilege and joy to be able to pray to the true master of the universe, the God who is sovereign over all. Remember when you pray, you're approaching your loving Heavenly Father. Realize your dependence on God. Saturate every aspect of your life in prayer. Trust in God's provision of good things and be thankful his provision will not include everything that your heart desires. And lastly, I want to encourage you, if you have not picked one up or haven't thought about picking one up, the book in the foyer is actually an amazing book to help us. It's Praying the Bible. It's a great guide to teach you how to pray as you read God's Word. Reading His Word reminds us who God is and His promises and encourages us as we pray to depend on Him solely. I would encourage you to pick up your free copy for your family if you have not done so. It is something you can take home, you can read together, you can pass it along. But it reminds us, when we're praying to God, we are praying to a God who listens. His Word is great Soil, as we just talked about actually during the prayer meeting at 9 o'clock, for prayer. Read through the Psalms. Pray through the Psalms. Those are prayers to God and how rich they are. May we go to God in prayer, trusting that he hears, trusting that he cares, and trusting that he wants you to come to him. Your problems are not too small. They're not too great. He is perfect for it all. May everyone leave here knowing that you are loved by a mighty heavenly Father who invites you to continually go to him in prayer. May you desire to grow in grace, a growth saturated in prayer. And I would encourage you, if you're here today and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, you do not understand what it means to follow him, I invite you to ask. Talk to one of the pastors. We would love to share with you what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. He's not looking for you to live this life alone. God loves you, and God wants you to be a part of his family, a price that Jesus paid for himself on the cross and offers it to you as a free gift. May you receive it. If you have questions, please ask. Don't walk away not knowing. All right, let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you that you are a God we can come to anytime. You're never too busy. Your voicemail's never full. You're listening actively as we pray. God, we thank you that you're a God who loves and you're a God who's able. You are sovereign over all. May that bring us peace. You know all. You see all. We don't need to be afraid to come to you that we might reveal something you don't know. 
You know it all. Let us just be honest and confess. Let us seek your wisdom. Let us come to you and ask, seek, and knock, knowing that you are ready and willing to help us. And God, in times when you don't answer the way we thought or think, may we still trust you. Trust that you're doing what is best for us. That is grace. You are still giving us. We are receiving your grace and mercy. May we rejoice in that. God, I pray for our brothers and sisters here. May we know this walk that you've called us to is not a solo walk alone. It is with you and it is with our church body. May we walk this life together, strengthened by you. God, I pray what you've called us to do is impossible on our own. But with you, nothing is impossible. You will guide us through it all and we will be able to walk away with joy in our hearts. Regardless of the suffering, regardless of the pain, you are our God and we can rejoice in that. God, I thank you and I praise you in your son's name. Amen.